Good morning, everybody. I, it's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series called The Kingdom of God is in Our Midst. And throughout this sermon series, we're considering how we can engage politically in this day and age that's so fractured and divisive. It seems like having any conversation about politics is really challenging right now. What we often forget is that it was the same for Jesus, that he lived in a time when there was a significant amount of political turmoil. And yet while that was happening, he was not anxious about the kingdom of God uh, coming or being really uh, present all around him. In fact, this exchange happened with uh, a couple of Pharisees, which is recorded in Luke chapter 17. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, like, when is it coming? When is it coming? Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. People in Jesus' time and today equate the coming of God's kingdom and the accomplishment of certain things that are assumed to be God's purposes or God's priority. But for Jesus, the kingdom of God is defined simply by being where God is. So being in God's presence, then you're in the kingdom. And since Jesus was in their midst, he's saying, he's standing right before them, he's saying, kingdom of God kingdom of heaven. It's in your midst. And in our day and age, the same sort of conversation is happening. People are are looking to political leaders and and wondering, are you going to usher in God's kingdom? Or maybe people aren't quite saying it with that language. They're they're more saying, are you going to do the right thing? Are you going to do the true thing? Are you going to do the just thing? Are you going to be the good candidate? Many people are equating the kingdom of God not with being near to God or living in God's presence, but with the accomplishment of the right things. Many people are thinking this way. In an attempt to win over Christian voters, a lot of people are eager to make the claim that their side or their party is the party that best aligns with God's values or God's purposes, that they're on the side of God. In 2016, a pretty significant percentage of people who call themselves Christians voted for Donald Trump because they believe that Donald Trump was on the side of God. And one of the issues that was a kingdom of God issue for many of these people was the Supreme Court. A lot of people maybe found Donald Trump's character distasteful, but they believed that Pro-life judges were important to God. They're part of God's kingdom purposes. So they, they voted for Donald Trump because they thought this is how we accomplish God's purpose. This is how we bring God's kingdom in the United States is get pro-life judges on the Supreme Court. And he's done that. But during his turn, another issue has come up that's been really important. That's been a kingdom of God issue for many Christians. And that's the issue of immigration. And Trump experienced one of the biggest breaks with 
uh, people, with Christians, on this issue of immigration when the stories about kids in cages came out. I don't know if you guys remember that a few years ago. This was so odious to Christians that he lost meaningful support of these Christians who had previously been for him because they have been for this pro-life judge thing. And what I've noticed is that right now, politicians and political surrogates are, are trying to woo the Christian vote. Often, naming these two issues. Claiming that their candidate is on the side of God. That their candidate is bringing the kingdom of God to earth because they are pursuing these particular issues. I've noticed this happening in a lot of mediums and a lot of places. Uh, YouTubers, I like watching political content on YouTubers. Uh, YouTube, a lot of YouTubers are, are, are speaking in this language of, of absolute and the good, and one side is bringing the good because they're doing these things, or, or podcasters, or, or newspaper opinion columnists, or cable news hosts, or Twitter, or Facebook activists. Increasingly, these people who are defining what it means for, for God's purposes to be accomplished in our world are taking on the role of the Pharisees in that Luke 17 passage. Where they're defining this is what it means for the kingdom of God to come. And then they're making arguments about when it's going to come or how it's going to come or how you and I should follow their lead and engage this work of bringing God's kingdom to the earth. I could name a few people, maybe like Rachel Maddow or Tucker Carlson or Rush Limbaugh or Don Lemon. Modern day Pharisees telling us the parameters, the means, and the when by which God's kingdom purposes are coming and how they're going to come in and who's going to bring them in, when they're going to come. Comedians, late night TV hosts, People on Twitter, all over the place. People are taking to the airwaves and trying to argue, this is God's purpose. This is how we bring God's kingdom there. This is how we bring the good, the true, the just, and the beautiful. But as I listen to all these voices, and whatever medium it comes, an opinion column, or a short tweet, or a YouTube video, or a cable news, TV host. There's, there's something that I notice that's consistent across all these different voices and all these different mediums. When people are trying to persuade us that, that they know what it looks like and how it is that God's kingdom comes, there's two primary animating energies by which we're, they're trying to motivate us to join their side. The first seems to be Fear. If you elect the wrong person, you should be afraid because these terrible things are going to happen. That, that seems to be very much a part of the narrative. And the second is hate. And, and usually it goes, the, the sentiment or the feeling is something like, have you noticed how evil and stupid people are on the other side? Fear and hate. The cable news hosts, the tweets about how to do good things in the world. The YouTube rants seem to be just saturated. Fear 
and hate as they tell us how to accomplish good things in the world. It's almost like the way that you and I are wired, our, our evolutionary kind of way that we have been formed, like we're more responsive to these negative spirits than positive spirits. And so like we hear this fearful stuff and it's, it's like we just get sucked in or, or we hear these, this hateful rhetoric about how bad, can you believe what these people on the other side are doing? It's leading to the downfall of society and it's, it's like so shocking. It just sucks us in like a, like a car wreck on the highway. You can't look away when you hear that fear or you hear that hate. And the longer we listen and ponder the presence of such this great societal threat that's going to ruin America for the future if the other people are elected or, or ruminate on, on these idiots who could possibly support this type of candidate, the more we're formed in the spirit of fear and hate. In our passage for today, John, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way that you and I dwell in the kingdom of God, which is already in our midst. When Jesus says that the kingdom is in our midst, means the Spirit is in our midst. And living in the kingdom happens when we live with God in this world. Because the Spirit is here with us, we can dwell with God and work with God right now, regardless of the circumstances. And what John wants to show us in our passage I'm going to read in a second is how we discern the presence of the Spirit. As we seek to navigate this world, as we, we listen to politicians or opinion piece writers or cable news hosts or read t- political tweets on Twitter, we can use John's guiding principles to discern how we dwell in this kingdom that is already in our midst by noticing, responding to, and staying present to the Spirit. So I want to read through this chapter. It's 1 John chapter 4. I just want to take this all in. Listen to these words in the midst of our divided and hostile time. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Someone who's speaking and is in alignment with God's purposes. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you have heard is coming and even now, already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. And you've overcome all these. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They're from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Okay, so now he gives us some guidelines. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a lot here, but it's very clear, very simple. And John is telling us, as we go out in the world, there are these false, there's all these people that are speaking out, telling us what God's kingdom is, what the good is, how we should live. He says, test the spirits. Practice discernment. Ask, is this consistent with Jesus? This is where we're saying anyone who acknowledges, it, these spirits who acknowledge Jesus came in the flesh. So we're listening for the presence of the Spirit and what this person is saying. Is this animated? If we want to dwell in the kingdom of God that is in our midst, we're listening for the presence of the Spirit. So the person speaking could be a politician or a TV news host or a coworker or a family member even. If we're trying to persuade us of something, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to do the work of discernment. 
This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This isn't like some person who's going to come and rule the world. Like It's just generally Antichrist just means against Jesus. So this is, is this thing or this person that this person's advocating for consistent with the life of Jesus, which was a life of surrender and love and trust? And the two specific areas that John wants to name and highlight in our passage as a contrast between the spirit of Christ, consistent with the life of Christ, and the spirit of the Antichrist, which is against the things that Christ stand for, the first is Fear versus trust. And the second is hatred versus love. Names these very clearly. Defining that a person who is animated by God's Spirit is going to be marked by love. Even love for enemies. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Person who is dwelling in the kingdom of God is animated by the presence of the Spirit and is living a life of love. When we discern the kingdom of God in our midst, we're discerning the presence of God of love, namely, love of enemies. So think about the people that you hear speaking about how you and I as Christians should vote or how we should engage in politics. Do you discern the presence of love? Do you discern the presence in them of love for the people that don't agree with them? for the people that look different than them, for the people who are on the other side of the political spectrum, are they animated by love? Namely, love of enemies, those who wish to do them harm. John writes so simply, but so clearly, and this is such a great rubric. He wants us to just get this super simple point in our head. You and I cannot hate somebody and be dwelling in God's kingdom at the same time. You can't have contempt for someone and think it is God's will. You cannot hope for something bad to happen to another person and be near to God. So when we hear someone, be it a political leader or somebody else, speaking with contempt and arguing that the good people do this, they are not dwelling near to God. This is what it means to test the spirits. This is true. Just think about your own life. We all experience this in everyday life. I sit with people in spiritual direction where we basically come together and pray and try and notice what God is doing. And frequently, one of the things that we have to do before we can even do that is first deal with anger. Hey, like I've sat with people who have been so angry with a boss. 
and feeling so justified in their anger. But so long as they cling to their hatred of their boss, they cannot pray. Or other people have come in and they've been wounded and hurt and angry by their spouse. And they want to talk about this other area of their life, but until they get to a place where they deal with the hatred they feel towards their spouse, they can't pray. They can't listen. And John says that is because God is love. In John's Gospel, he records Jesus talking about the presence of the Spirit, the presence of God, and it's like stream that's flowing out of us. So you think of this like stream or river that flows from the depths of our heart as this like river of love. And we can dwell in that river of love, but if we want to hate somebody, we have to step out of that river to dwell and be in that place of hatred and contempt, and we're separated from God, and there are no exceptions. If you choose to step out of the flow of God's love, because you've got to do this important work of condemnation or judgment, you're stepping out of a place of being near to God. When we, when you and I are listening to other people, be it reading a New York Times opinion column, watching Fox News, reading tweets, checking out YouTube, we can discern the presence of God by discerning the presence of love, particularly love for enemies, people who are on the other side, people who are different. The second thing that John says marks those who are dwelling in the kingdom of God is the absence of fear. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. How are we like Jesus? There's no fear in love. Perfect love, not us perfectly loving others, but us knowing perfect, how perfectly we are loved by God drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What John is getting at here is the way the presence of God's Spirit leads to the eradication of fear in my life. The presence of God's Spirit comes to me as I acknowledge that Jesus is God in the flesh. As I acknowledge that, I come to terms and I come to accept how much God loves me. Namely, so much that He sent His Son to die for me while I was a sinner. So before I had done anything to deserve love, God sent His Son as an act of love. He chose me. He loved me before I deserved any of it. This is, as we acknowledge that, the presence of the Spirit is in us, and so we dwell in this place of deep, unconditional love. I have done nothing, nothing to deserve God's love. God just decides to love me. He decides to love you. And the more we rest in this unconditional love, the more we are released from fear. Now this requires a little nuance. 
Our life will never be completely without fear. Fear is a human emotion. It's always going to be with us. For example, this last week, I was driving down Highway 100, and I looked to my left. There's a car upside down. This is right after it had snowed, and it spun out and flipped. It was literally sitting upside down. And as I felt my body tense up, I was like, whoa, the roads are worse than I had thought. And there's like this, this moment of just being tense and concerned, and I was very aware of and present to danger. This is fear. This fear is very helpful because it tells me, slow down, drive safely. This is the gift that fear is giving me, is it's alerting me to danger. This is what fear is supposed to do. This is not what John's talking about. What John is talking about is this sort of fear of punishment. It's this anxious, existential fear that God doesn't love me, that I'm not good enough, that he's abandoned me, that when bad things happen, it's because God's not present in my life because he doesn't really love me or care about me. I'm not accepted. He's rejected me. It's that kind of deep level anxiety of uncertainty about who I am and about how God feels about me. This fear shows up when we step out of that flow of love. We're not resting in this awareness that God sent his son to die for me because he loves me, because he's delighted in me. This is love, verse 10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the love that John is talking about. It's not the love that you and I can muster up within us. It's the love that God has for us. When the Spirit dwells in us, this is the primary truth that you and I rest in, then then the presence of fear goes away. We dwell in this reality. God's Spirit dwells in us. We're released from fear. And in the same way that we can discern the presence of God as we listen to other people, by the presence of, of this love of enemies and the absence of hatred and contempt, we can also discern whether there is fear there or not. If this person is unsure of God's love for them, there will be that underlying anxiety that drives their political engagement. Think about the people you've had tense political conversations with. You don't agree with their political point of view. Can you, can't you just feel the anxiety in those conversations oozing out? Like, this has to be this way. This person doesn't know that they're loved unconditionally. They're motivated by this spirit of fear of punishment that like, they're not good enough yet. And we listen. And these people have platforms and we, if we are tempted to follow the fear that this person is peddling, we are not dwelling in the kingdom of God that is in our midst. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. This is not the way we enter and receive God's kingdom which is in our midst. Because perfect love drives out fear. So we don't engage any of our politics from a place of fear. In this politically charged environment, I want all of us to know how to dwell in the kingdom of God, which is in our midst, because the Spirit is in our midst. I want us to be able to discern 
when we listen to people. Noticing the presence of contempt and hatred. These people are not articulating God's purposes if we're, we're, we're present that the primary motivator here is contempt and hatred of others. And noticing the presence of fear and anxiety. If we don't get this, everything's going to be ruined. This also is not something that's coming from God. It's not coming from a place of love. Each of us, as you're thinking about going out and engaging politically and getting ready to vote, is charged with doing this work of discernment. Discerning God's Spirit as we seek to listen to people and as we seek to live in the world. God's kingdom is present to us as we live lives of love and trust, not hatred, contempt, fear, and anxiety. Let's pray. O Lord, have mercy on us. We are too quick to judge others, to cling to fear or hatred or contempt. Have mercy on us. And God, soften our hearts. Make us sensitive to your great love for us. Wherever we go, I dwell with you and your spirit who is the presence of love within. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.